Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this, this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Yeah, sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, you know, go ahead and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Ezra Furman is a talented singer, prose writer, musician, lyricist, and songwriter currently based near Boston, Massachusetts. Originally from Chicago, Illinois, Furman and her band have just completed a remarkable trilogy of albums with All of Us Flames, a powerful display of confessional and narrative songwriting, which was released by Anti Records on August 26, 2022. Ahead of a European tour, Furman returned to this show for a fun and revealing talk about how All of Us Flames picks up on threads first revealed 
on its respective predecessors, Transangelic Exodus and Twelve Nudes, notions of opposition and galvanization in life and in art, writing her own train songs, how all of these songs reflect her experiences as a Jewish trans woman and how they may resonate with other members of her broad audience, lyrical allusions to Ali Sheedy and the Breakfast Club and a satiric Nick Lowe song, her view of the role of art in the world today, touring and new work, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol with additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will happily help you find whatever it is you're looking for. Say you want to order the new Ezra Furman record, All of Us Flames. Well, you head over to blackbird.ca and you, tell, you type in a bunch of stuff, and sure enough, I'm, you will get yourself, as long as it's available, it's not delayed by some pressing plant problem, which is very common these days, you will get yourself a copy of the new Ezra Furman record. Go to blackbird.ca for more information about how you can do all that. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 730 of Creative Control, featuring the wonderfully thoughtful Ezra Furman with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Ezra. How's it going? Oh, hi, Vish. Uh, it's going great. Nice. That's great to hear. Where in the world are you today? I am in my home in Somerville, Massachusetts, the Boston area. Nice. I don't recall you being in this area the last time you were on the show. Is it? Am I wrong? First of all, welcome back to the show. Thank you oh, for making time for me to be back on the show. I wanted to say that. God, thank you for having me on the show twice. Um <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just, I just gave a brief glance at, at the last time we talked and I was, I was in Somerville. Oh, okay. Yeah. I looked, I looked, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I listened to a little bit of it just to remember where we left off. And we spoke in early April, 2020. Yes. And, uh, it was a serious, a seriously strange, uh, moment in world history. Yes. Not that it's not now. It definitely still is. But um, yeah, that was in full pandemic lockdown time. Yeah, I think that's around the time, whether they liked it or not, the world was reborn uh, into whatever it is right now. Some semblance of the old and some semblance of uh, reality. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, sorry. I couldn't tell. Maybe you just moved there. I, for some reason I had migration on the mind, uh, based on the last time we'd spoken, but maybe not. I could be wrong. I'm sorry. I, I had, I guess I had moved probably uh, seven, seven or eight months into, into my tenure here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't revisit our last chat. You know what I do, Ezra? I don't read any, I don't read or listen to any interviews with someone, uh, before I speak to them because, I like to come in fresh. Like I kind of, I have this philosophy, like what if I had just run into Ezra at a show and we were just making conversation? I don't want to know all the answers to everything. I want the questions to feel fresh and the answers to feel fresh. You know what I'm coming? So I didn't even revisit our last chat. Thank you for Good. doing that. I remember liking it very much. If, if it's, if I don't know if that came across. Well, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really nice that you're, you're just. You're a good conversationalist. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, you and are too, if I may say. And I also want to say, holy Lord, congratulations on this new album. It, we love it in the house. Uh, my, oh, really? My wife adores it. Uh, I say this to people uh, from time to time on the show, frequently these days, because we're all still, my family, pretty much in the house all the time. And Papa has got to play music uh, to prepare for conversation. So they hear, my kids hear all sorts of new music. And my wife hears it too. 
And, you know, I'll, I'll level with you, Ezra. Sometimes they don't like it. Sometimes they're like, eh, can you turn it off? (laughs) 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 This one, they love it. And I just want to congratulate you on this thing. It's just wonderful. Um, how are you feeling about it? You've, you managed to get out on the road for a little bit, uh, in, in support of, uh, all of us flames. How was it feeling on stage and how are you feeling about it, uh, now that it's out? I'm very proud of it. it. It's it's rather close to exactly what I hoped my next record could be. I mean, in terms of on stage, like I have a wonderful band. I just like mm-hmm. I'm so lucky, and I know sometimes people get it twisted because we uh, we've renamed the band many times. But I've been playing with this band that I have since 2012. So it's it's been 10 years. It's been more than 10 years that this band has been together. We had a saxophone player for quite a few years who's no longer in the band. And there's a new guitar player in the band who just, just joined this past summer. Mm -hmm. And his name is Max Talley and he's wonderful, a wonderful addition. And like we, we needed him. It's a thrill to just like play with a new great musician as, as well as my old, um, decade long little band of (laughs) three pals. And yeah, it's also, it's, it's funny. And I, sometimes I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I even, I have a grasp of why it happened this way, but like, this is like a band. I know my name is the name of the the project, you know, and it just seems like uh, maybe I'm like one of those people who just puts together a band for each album or for each tour and doesn't have a regular band that just sources the musicians they know, but that's not yeah. really it at all. This is like a band band, you know? Yeah. And uh we just happen to go by my name. The same name that I go by. Yeah. And and it is my project in terms of like I'm the leader and sort of director of operations and I at least co write all the songs. I pretty much write the songs. I write all the <laughs> lyrics. But I just think it's it's easy to overlook what a band dynamic this is on on record and on stage. Like it's more like the Rolling Stones than Paul Simon. I don't know. <laughs> or or like Mick Jagger solo. Yes, I'm not. You know, I'm not familiar <laughs> enough with Mick Jagger solo. Oh, some of it's uh, um, some of it's it's okay. Some of it's uh, embarrassing. Some of it's okay, but no, I, I totally get what you're saying and I appreciate that. This record, uh, All of Us Flames, uh, has been framed as concluding a trilogy. And I noticed, uh, some distinctions between this and the, and the previous installment, uh, 12 Nudes. And obviously, uh, like I said earlier, the world, uh, has changed a lot since you released that last record. And I'm, I'm gathering from reading the lyrics and hearing you sing that a lot has changed for you. And, uh, and, and that, that change is reflected, uh, on this record. So a couple of things I want to ask about. Can you talk about, uh, the sort of aesthetic changes, uh, and differences between all of us flames and your, the, the, the rest of the trilogy, if you will? And then within that, maybe talk about what you're, in an overarching sense, I was hoping you can convey a little bit about what you were trying to convey, uh, with the songs on this record. Cause I sent some threads. I, I sent some, yeah some you know just contemplation of of life as it is and life for you and the various uh people you represent if you will i'll put it to you that way and i'll let you expand upon it i hear all of that hmm. and i read all of that and by the way again i'm on a bit of a horn tooting streak uh in that i'm patting people well, that's not horn tooting that would be me i'm patting a lot of people on the back i really appreciate your lyrics uh here the storytelling here oh. is really wondrous and I just want to put that out there because I want to ask you about a few uh, examples of of just just fragments of lyrics that I just find really really wonderful and fascinating. In any case, can you talk a little bit about what distinguishes all of us flames uh, from the rest of the trilogy? Let's start there. Oh, okay. What? Well, okay. Well, yeah, sure. There was there was a lot packed into that. Sometimes this sometimes this happens to me, and I know I've I've overflattered you. I apologize. I don't mean to embarrass <laughs> you. I I just no. I I'm I'm feeling the record a lot. I was into, I was looking forward to our chat, and uh, as I say, just just reading everything. I I encourage. I like uh, this happens on the show. I encourage people to read lyrics because I think it. Do you find do you are you a lyric reader? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 
Well, it it depends on the music. I mean, like I don't I don't think it's always necessarily the thing to do. Um, sure. There there are even songs where I t- I completely don't know what's being sung, mm-hmm. and that doesn't feel like that much of a loss. Sometimes it doesn't add that much to find out what the words are. I think yeah. music like this, like the the words are part of the point, and I, I think it's good to. I mean, I write it as writing, as as verbal writing, you know, not just music. <laughs> Pro- yeah, writing, no, it, it not feels just songwriting. It feels prosy. Uh, there's certainly a lot of, I think, allusions or not allusions to Springsteen or people of his ilk, but that kind of storytelling definitely comes through for me on various songs here. So, no, I just want to, yeah, again, I didn't mean to bog us down in compliments. I just want to alert the listeners that there's a lot going on in this record emotionally as you listen. Uh, and intellectually as you kind of dig or as I tend to, I try to do is dig deep a little bit. Anyway, sorry. I sound like a professor. I don't mean to. Please. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit okay. about, um, where you were kind of coming from and making this record? Yeah. You're, you're a good listener. I mean, I think, I think I've sort of, I, I started to frame this as the third record in a trilogy of albums because I noticed that these three have in common a sort of, zooming out quality a like a, a quality of being more about what it feels like to live in the world right, with a sort of a particular emphasis on like social realities mm-hmm. and shared realities that like all three of them seem like departure from from the records I made before that, which were, which were much more, well, they felt more about me, I guess I would say, the, the, the previous albums. And I, I don't think these records I've done since Transangelic Exodus, they're, they're about me by default because it's me and my perspective, but, but it is sort of a collective perspective. And, oh, ab- um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that comes across. It, it didn't just seem like you're trying to reflect particular groups i feel like you're searching for for groups you're searching for uh groups to belong to if that makes sense yeah yeah or yeah what what would it be like to have like communal solidarity and communal identity and for that to like work and last i mean this record in particular is much is like future oriented and there's there's a there's an arc of uh of the general tone of these three records. I mean, the first one, Transangelic Exodus is like this dawning paranoia kind of thing Mm -hmm. where like you sort of, it's sort of a realization that like, Oh, we're, we're on our own and like, or, or we, whatever, whoever leaving aside who we exactly is, we are like this subgroup that is threatened and uh, we're, we're not protected. And maybe the people who are, in charge or sort of against us and we might have to yeah. run yeah. away yeah. or fight back or something. And then it was followed by 12 news, which is like that, but more and more hopeless and more panicked and more anger and anxiety and, and more, uh, yeah, more us against them. Um, mm-hmm. And then this one is sort of the, I think it's really, it's about the maturation of what comes after that when you realize that you want to survive, that you want to, yeah, that you are sort of permanently situated against the empire Mm -hmm. and as a dissenter, but you want to last, you want to not burn out and you want to look toward a future where you're going to survive for the long haul and how can you how can you burn how can you sort of be a fire that tries to um burn down the parts of the world that you reject without burning out yourself yeah Uh, yeah so there are moments here where that kind of call for galvanization and empowerment are coming through but like you say there's i think almost constantly in that galvanization, there's a recognition that there's some sort of oppositional force. There's a reason to galvanize. On the first song, Train Comes Through, which I will say reminded me here and there of, a again, just before I go much further, 
You like Bruce, right? You're a fan of the Springsteen? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not everything he's ever done, but his style also of, of storytelling and, and keeping a thread going over the course of multiple albums is, was it's a very influential thing on me. Well, he has a tendency to write from the perspective of marginalized voices and also recognize that they have commonalities among other marginalized voices and that there's some greater oppositional force that they can all work towards, I don't know, defeating or, or coexisting with, if you will. He's got a song from around 2001, I think is when it came out. It's called Land of Hope and Dreams. And when I yeah. heard your train metaphor, and train metaphors in music have been around forever. And uh, yeah. so th- on some level, people who listen might be like, well, that's not even the train song you should be talking about. But in Land of Hope and Dreams, there are these lines. This train carries saints and sinners. This train carries losers and winners. This train carries whores and gamblers. This train carries lost souls and so forth. It's just this notion of thieves and sweet souls departed. Like this train has everyone on it and it's headed somewhere. You've got these lines in here. uh, A transfiguration's coming, a turning in the song for the brutal static order they've depended on so long this train will carry gamblers it'll carry us midnight ramblers too us us midnight ramblers too a broken heart's your ticket so be ready when the train comes through i can't help it i saw a through line between these notions of like what i was getting at earlier the galvanization of marginalized voices against an oppositional force but we're doing it we're getting together we're heading somewhere together we're making this trek does any of that resonate with you yeah. Well, the, I mean, those, I think both my song and the Bruce Springsteen song are referencing older songs. Yes. I, I, I'm thinking of like uh, that that gospel song, This Train. Uh, I know it as the Staple Singers did a song called This Train. Of course. Train. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and Woody Guthrie's got his, this train's bound for glory. Mm-hmm. So one of the lines in those old songs, and there's different versions of that song. Uh, there is no line between the different versions of that song. What like you know, it's it's folk music. Like there are entirely distinct uh, songs that share those lines. And uh, I was hoping to be yeah do a, do my little entry in that particular chain of tradition. Well, yeah. but those old ones will we'll always say uh, there's that line. This train doesn't carry gamblers or midnight ramblers and it, it's sort of like a a christian train like if you want to get on the train yes. to heaven you better not be a a gambler or a midnight rambler or, or somebody who's who's not towing the line with christianity i mean i think it, this is just a slight refrain i don't think that was i, I never i never took those lines as like mean spirited but i'm like man to me the the true spirited probably Christianity, although I know less about Christianity, but like, yeah. I guess the, the spirit of biblical religion and messianism, you know, uh, is that like the people who are troubled and perhaps rejected by society actually like do deserve a, a spot on, on a train to a better world, you know? And yeah, I mean, you referenced the, there's obviously many biblical references on this record. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're delving into religion, but you're also delving into that notion of exodus. On the song Throne, we travel in tandem, we blend right in, but we lock eyes when we pass a small nod of the chin. Suitcase in the closet, supplies in the drawer. There may come a day when you'll see us no more. Now, again, I feel like you're trying to reflect different groups on some level uh, here. Can you speak a little bit about who you were trying to empower or or whose experiences you were trying to reflect uh, in these songs? Well, it's funny. I I had this question in my mind for some time, like, who am I speaking to? Mm-hmm. And that's the question I was, I was trying to answer. Who is my audience? And I, I saw over the years my audience was shifting. And, you know, I I was sort of slowly and in, in different stages coming out as queer I was slowly and in different stages being more explicit about like my spiritual life and my Judaism and religiosity and mm-hmm. all these things that 
I had previously found very, <laughs> very hard to talk about and even harder to, of course, like market or something, you know, but yeah, I just actually, yeah. I shudder to, to use that language around it really. But like, I'm, I'm like, who, but who is this audience? And I saw the audience changing as I, as what I talked about changed. I saw all these queer kids showing up. I mean, I saw, you know, religious people also taking an interest or sometimes it was just quoted in a, in a Rosh Hashanah and a Jewish New Year, like, um, sermon that, that somebody just sent to me. They were quoting my new album. And really? Yeah, wow. yeah. And I, 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 I find that to be like thrilling, you know, to, to have my art sort of in that kind of a conversation. But yeah. at some point, it kind of stopped mattering to me. I realized, like, oh, the audience is all kinds of people. It doesn't matter what group you're speaking to. It matters what group you're speaking from. And I'm speaking from the group of religious people and the group of queer people and and trans people in particular and trans women in particular. And I just, like, want that to inform what I'm writing. So, like, in these songs that talk about sort of, like, a secret virtual community that's, like, under threat and making plans to... To, to, I don't know, to attack maybe. Yeah. It's really just like, this is how life uh, feels to me this decade. You know, I like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I like that it's, that I kept it vague and I kept it unclear what this, what this secret society is specifically about because it's a feeling that's shared across groups. It's just like a feeling that like, that us against them feeling that like we're working in secret and we will sort of have our moment of, uh, of taking the stage and overthrowing the empire. Yeah. I feel like you, you have oppositional attributes. I want to put it to you that way. Like, I think, sorry, when you talk, we're, I'm, you know I'm, what? Fuck you. <laughs> I guess I deserve that one. Thanks. Uh, no, what I'm getting at though is, uh, you're, you know, I'm, I'm trying to home in on gr- other groups that you might be representing or reflecting. What you're saying is this is very personal. I think we all look to art to try to relate to it, uh, or rather the art that speaks to us, we can relate to a little bit. So you're, you're recognizing that your audience is broad. Uh, and everyone's got their own journey individually that they're on to, but in conveying your own through your music, cause this feels, you know, when you get into like point me toward the real and, uh, what are the, some of the other ones? There's a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, some of these songs seem particularly autobiographical to me. Um, yeah, and so sure. I, I feel like by putting yourself out there and your lived experience out there, Obviously, it's going to touch people who, who finally feel like someone can, is conveying what they're experiencing, right? That's what we look to, to some extent in our art. So you must, um, I mean, I, I imagine you feel some sense of responsibility as an artist, uh, maybe. Is that too, is that too much of a burden to put on you right now, Ezra? Responsibility. I don't think I feel any response, sense of responsibility. Okay. I, 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 I honestly, and, and I've thought about that too, um, I I truly think the artist's responsibility is to to do something that is like real realness, you know, yes. uh, yeah. like and and actually not even realness. You, I mean, you could, if I whatever whatever moves me is that's that's my resp- my responsibility is to that. Yeah, and I, I I think a lot of people were thinking about this in, in different stages of like having. The Trump administration is like it felt like a national crisis yeah. in a lot of ways to a lot of people. Yeah. And climate change is like a global crisis and COVID-19 is has been a global crisis and artists are sort of asking themselves like we can't just like make whatever we feel like can we right now we have to like social responsibility has to come into play. And, I just never agreed with that. <laughs> I think we can make whatever we want. And like, there's all kinds of uses for art. And I don't know, trying to like write about the pandemic. I don't know if it helps anyone any more than like writing like some really good Lord of the Rings fan fiction or something, you know? 
Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's these lines in Forever Sunset that I couldn't help but think of uh, the pandemic. Do you remember when we thought the world was ending? Seems funny now. I don't know. Was that an allusion to the pandemic or something else? <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely influenced by the pandemic and the pandemic adds resonance to that. Yeah. But, you know, if my music is like political and sort of socially aware, that's just because that's what's like on my heart. You know, that's what's that's what's authentically bothering me. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, if yeah. I did it out of the sense of like responsibility of like artists should be speaking out right now, I don't I, I don't see how that would get me to write, you know, mm. like it's got to be burning in me. It's got to, you know, it, I mean, maybe, maybe it's uh, what I'm really saying is that like. I can't just decide what I want to say. I, that's really doesn't feel up to me. Yeah. I like have to find the real stuff that's inside me and like deep in my subconscious. And um, yeah. I just have to look in there and find it. And uh, I guess I can curate it a little bit, but it has to be in there. Um, I think I think I maybe misspoke. Responsibility is a very loaded and burdensome idea. But all I'm getting at is, if a young person who relates to a song like Lilac and Black is yeah. reading, tonight I'm dreaming of my queer girl gang, we who walk this deadly path in the city that tries to kill us each night. We'll soon bow before our wrath. All I'm getting at there is, not, again, responsibility is the wrong thing. I think you're going to find, and you probably find, as you hear from people, that they feel gratitude towards you for recognizing them and their struggle by conveying what you what, what, what is your own or, or what you observe about, you know, your people and, and people generally. So I, I don't know if that's a better, it's, again, is it is it the responsibility part that is making both yeah. of us uh, bristle a little? I think I just yeah. maybe used the wrong term. Yeah, but uh, maybe it's also that I've heard people talk in those, in those terms before and I'm like, there's a lot of, <laughs> I don't know, there's a lot of very important things happening in the world that I am not addressing in song lyrics, you know? No, no uh, for sure. <laughs> for, no, 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 for sure. You're, no, and I, I gather that, and I'm not, yes, exactly. It's not like, Ezra, now that you're done this record, I, got, I have another assignment for you. It's not meant to be that. I just feel like in talking about these things, you're going to, that's just what's going to happen. You're going to find that, uh, I imagine people are going to be like, thank you. Like, people are going to say thank you. I, I feel seen. Yeah. I feel heard. I feel like someone understands what I'm going through and I hear and read that on a lot of songs here of trying someone trying to reach out about various experiential stuff to just make it like it's okay or not that it's okay but you're not alone is a way of putting it does that make sense yeah okay yeah it and I don't know I wonder if that is like all art is doing that in some way though all good all the good stuff the like good art just regardless of if it's explicitly about some social reality as a lot of mine has been recently. Yeah. Like, I think it just addresses human needs and, and realities, the deep, deep human questions, you know? Yeah. Uh, even stuff in d different genres. That's not so explicitly kind of activist minded. I'm just, I'm just trying to just, I'm just trying to keep my license to to go write a rock opera about talking squirrels or something. I saw you write a tweet some time ago just wondering whether or not you could quote uh, a problematic comedian's material at this point in our lifetimes. Do you know what I'm referring to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know, how I, I don't know why I... Ask that question in public. <laughs> but what I what I wanted to say about it, and I don't want to delve into that specifically unless you want to. What I appreciate, uh -huh. when I talk about others relating to you, I noticed that we both sort of went, I did it, I framed this as like the people who are queer and the people who are marginalized. You mentioned uh, the people of the Jewish faith. Like we, we've went that way. What I appreciate you about you often is that you seem to uh, delve into the same pop culture that I do. And you make, mm -hmm. a, and you're not afraid to make allusions to it. So earlier I mentioned Springsteen and this song that uh, I referenced, Forever Sunset. You said there's certain eras that you like. 
I I hear in you someone who appreciates Latter Day Springsteen. When I hear Forever Sunset, <laughs> I think of the professor. I think of Roy Batan, what he does with keyboards and strings, like sort of real and fake string section stuff. And then yeah. there's stuff like, uh, which I hear on your record. Then Temple of Broken Dreams, if you're paying attention, you'll hear a little interpolation of what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding by Nick Lowe and Elvis <laughs> Costello. Uh, oh, my God, you called me out. No, I don't know if anyone else has mentioned this. All I'm getting, and then you've got a whole song called Ali Shitty and the Breakfast Club. So you're kind of like, yeah. what I'm getting at is I appreciate these. They're not Easter egg. Like Ali Shitty and the Breakfast Club is not an Easter egg. But for someone to spend a, a whole song just talking about this character in that film, which was formative, <laughs> formative for so many of us, uh, I think I got some years on you. So I saw that at a formative time for myself, like early teens. And I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, all I'm getting at is it's not just the uh, the hard stuff. I relate to you and your appreciation of comedy and music and film. And, and I feel like you're, you've been very uh, adept at conveying your interest in your songs. Is that purposeful for, for some reason? Like, do you, like, the, like again, Alice Shea and the Breakfast Club is blatant. That gives you some satisfaction yeah. just conveying uh, your, your, your interest, if you will, in song? I just haven't had anything ghost mentality and like the the stuff that I guess I like to write from the actual world that I live in yeah, and yeah. the references that I hold dearest I mean I was a little surprised that I found myself writing about Ellie Sheedy <laughs> um, because actually I'm not surprised that I wrote a song about Ellie Sheedy in the Breakfast Club but I'm what I was surprised is that it was so emotional I mean, that's one of the most nakedly emotional and yearning things I've ever written, I think. And Mm -hmm. I mean, when I first played it all the way through for somebody, I cried. I I was weeping and I almost didn't finish it. And I think the fact that those kind of references can be that emotional, that's interesting to me. That's interesting the way what feels like the trash of pop culture, the runoff of pop culture, some of it, there's these sparks of, of humanness and these sparks of like, I thought I was just watching a silly teenage movie from the mid eighties, but there was something in it that I needed to see and like helped me get somewhere as a person. I also think that's maybe something that, queer people tend to do more often as or perhaps anyone who's like been offered role models that didn't really work as role models uh like models of a way to be you know i just wasn't given that many that were right for me yeah um because i was supposed to grow up and be a man and i am a trans woman and so like a lot of queer people do that thing of like we're like sort of scrounging in whatever we can find wherever we can find it a lot of it's on tv in movies in rock and roll yeah. and that's just a poignant process to me as something kind of beautiful about that well in, in following up on what i was saying about what i see as you trying to not trying to i think just in your music uh, you can't help it. Just being who you are, you end up reaching out uh, or rather resonating potentially with different communities. What a sort of stroke of genius The Breakfast Club is to come up with five archetypes that f- <laughs> five different groupings of people in the world could relate to, all coming from pain and trauma. I just want to dial into The Breakfast Club and Ali Sheedy for just a bit longer, if if that's okay with you. Okay. What was it about yeah. the, for you, what does the film represent and what, what did it do to you? And why did Ali Sheedy in particular resonate with you? Because I, I as you as I read the lyrics and hear you sing it and the emotional tenor, I'm like, oh yeah, Ezra is probably the most Ali Sheedy uh, character of, of The <laughs> Breakfast Club. Yeah, sure. That's probably what's going on there. I can see that. Anyway, can you talk about that film and, and why it spoke to you or speaks to you still? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely her, mo- most of all by far. The movie itself is is more just like, it's kind of addictive. Yeah, yeah. 
sometimes it's really a bit silly. It does a pretty remarkable thing in that the villain of the story is constantly shifting. Like if you if you think of, if you think <laughs> yeah. about it, it's just everyone plays a villain. It's well, maybe not Ellie. I don't know. Yeah, no, Ali Sheedy too. They all, they're all, they all have their flaws, and each of them, you end up. I think. I'm sorry to steal your thunder here. Here's what I'll say, real <laughs> quick. I think for me, I I found myself as a kid relating to each of them, but then also finding each of them repulsive at various points of the film. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It, I think that's right on. Yeah, and that's kind of. It's a very teenage thing. <laughs> like, like I don't know. It just like feels like teenage social life where like, yeah, somebody, you like take turns being mean to each other sort of. Yes, and, yes. Um, and you're, and none of you really mean it because you, you're just trying to figure out like which one of these people that I can be, these many characters I can play, like which one feels good, yeah. which one, which one will get me out of this, out of my childhood basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And like, yeah, that's, that's something about Ali Sheedy as a, as a role model for me in that movie. Like, she helped me get me out of my childhood. And I have been watching this movie for, for years and years since I was a kid. Yeah. Certainly since I was a teenager anyway. And yeah, I think it's like, I, I just, I love how she's, it's, she's against everybody in a, in a way, but she's also so silent. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she somehow manages to be, both invisible and at war with everyone, and that is kind of how I felt. <laughs> yeah, that's throughout a, adolescence. Follows up on my oppositional um, comment earlier. Yes, yes, yeah, for sure. Yes, you were. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and then also truly joyful, you know, like, and I love that she seems to somehow hold. Yeah, this like I'm at war with everyone, and I'm also just like. A beacon of joy in some way. I don't know. She always seemed that way. Joy and fury is the is a phrase I used in the lyrics. Well, she might be the most mischievous character. And forgive me if this is too banal or trite, but you say you relate the most to Ali Sheedy. You mentioned you grew up a boy, a man. You're now a trans woman. Ali Sheedy's character transforms into a woman. In this film. Like, that's the way they framed it. That Molly Ringwald's character basically gives this frumpy, almost shapeless being a makeover. And by the end, again, I don't know if this is actually a good thing that the film does. I've always wrestled with that. Yeah. They turn this grunge kid into a more like the princess and i always kind of resented it to be honest with you i haven't watched this is a movie i no, will probably watch once a year but that that shift kind of bothered it's towards sorry spoiler alert everyone towards <laughs> the end of the breakfast club yeah ali sheedy's character transformed but again i apologize if this is too heavy-handed did you relate to that on some level given <laughs> the life well, you've led look nobody likes the princess version better you know like <laughs> like she's so iconic as the as the gothish like weirdo girl. Yes. And I think the movie just did that just to show like, whoa, what if this person who is so dead set on being a weirdo and is so like authentically weirdly herself, what if she too tried something totally different, you know? And I don't think she's, I I think she's not going to stay the princess. I think that's a one time thing. I, like I mean, that was my interpretation. It's like she's like, yeah, I'll try being Molly Ringwald. Maybe I'll learn something from that. But I think yeah. she comes back to school on Monday as as Ellie Sheedy, all in black. You know, um, yeah. I, I just like sometimes people get really mad about that. And, uh, like, uh, yeah, people. Since I put this song out, people have brought it up to me. It's like, don't you hate what it, they do to her at the end? <laughs> and I'm like, just let her try it. Like, don't I? Okay, like. It doesn't have to be like, oh, we saved her from being unpopular. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just like, what if we just all could switch places? What if we could? And I, yeah, I I think that we could really go do a truly (laughs) a deep dive. But like, in some way for me, the reason I say that is I get maps onto something I've experienced as a trans woman where people are like, how come you have to do like makeup? Like, you think that's womanhood to like wear makeup Uh, and like... Uh, pearls or something like that's that's not what womanhood is. I'm a woman. I don't wear makeup, you know. And it's like, yeah. what if we 
it didn't have to mean it didn't have to like clutch so hard to like this is womanhood what if we were just allowed to try different versions of it and not be criticized when we find one that feels good if only for that day you know sure fair enough yeah I think that anyway. each character in that film goes through a transformation. Like that's kind of the point of the film. They learn from each other and they each leave the film shifted on some level in some small or huge way. And uh, I think that's all it is, is that on some level, the Ali Sheedy character seems like a cosmetic change that conforms to gender norms, if you will. But I don't think you're, I think you're also correct that that's not, that's not the end all and be all of what that means. It's her being like, yeah, they all, I guess the, now that I think about it, if I can finish my master's thesis on the breakfast club, Mm -hmm. it's about how everyone can change. And, and you're not, you don't have to be who everyone perceives you to be. You can be who you are. So, and I feel like if I may, that Mm -hmm. seems to be an undercurrent of your work too. That nothing is has to be any one way. Um, yeah. You have to stand up for yourself, but you can also be who you are, and that's fine. Like, whoever you are, that day, that week, that year, it's okay to change. Is that? <laughs> for sure. And, and not only do I, yeah, not only on the personal and individual level, but on the level of the way things are in the world. I mean, that's why I'm writing yeah. songs like... Uh, some of them are on the personal level, like point me toward the real. Yes. That's Beautiful song. Forward, oh my God. Forward f- directed into the future. But there's yeah. also like, you know, train comes through is like, this world is not like permanently finished and at the state that it must be in. This world yeah. where, where the rich are allowed to kill the poor and stuff like that and nobody has any protection at the bottom like it doesn't have to be that way let's imagine that it all could change and what does that do to the way we um live in in the world if we actually believed that that things like suffering and empire and power and oppression were mutable were were liquid changeable like a you could just try on some different makeup as a human civilization. It's a key component of the record that I maybe haven't, I think I've, I hope I haven't um, overemphasized uh, the struggle because beyond uh, of, uh, throughout the record, because I think the other oppositional force, not to do a callback, but the other oppositional force that's very prevalent here is fighting back. You know, you don't have to accept what it is. And there's lots of, equal opposition if that if that makes sense and i just want to convey that i don't want people to think this is to me there's a lot of menace and ominous sort of like you think you've got us well fuck you here we come there's a lot of that in here too is that fair yeah that's for sure um (laughs) i mean i hope there's also yeah uh my current you know anxiety about the record is that it's just so serious I mean, well, again, I, I, you lit up when I referenced uh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding, which is a pretty satiric sort of song. Real quick, uh, I didn't get to. I, I was in the midst of a flurry of observations. Why? Why did you make an allusion to that song uh, written by Nick Lowe, famously performed by Elvis Costello in The Attraction? I mean, for the same reason that I make an allusion to The Breakfast Club. It's just that's that's something that's so deep in my head, and I found myself. I was like, how does this song end? I just went on instinct and I guess I'm starting to be like, it's all mine. It's all mine to use. I don't care. I don't care yeah. like that, that I stole that, that ending from Nick Lowe. <laughs> like, I, I, and not I viewed that, it as a homage. I didn't think of it as theft. Yeah. Well, uh, but yeah. I, I almost like it better as theft. You know, I oh, had, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, um, it is homage. It, uh, homage and theft, there's there's not much difference there. I guess if it's homage is just where you're not like worried you'll get caught. You you admit it. So maybe it is homage. Well, but, my English essay brain 
<laughs> doesn't just think of it as a tossed off way to end a song. It's like, what is the other, what's the source material talking about? You know, yeah. similar kind of temporal confusion and angst, uh, I think, in that song as well. So that's where, again, English essay brain over here. I'm nerding out, but that's where my brain goes. Like, why, why would Ezra pick that particular song to reference <laughs> on this record at this particular time in history? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I mean, it's about walking through a wicked world, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, that's that's where I was coming from there, and it sounds like that's where maybe, as much as you just like that song and thought it fit, eh, you see where I'm coming from? I feel like it, it might be more purposeful than accidental. Yeah. I think it was a little bit unconscious and a little bit conscious. Yeah, that's what, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. it sounds like. I'm I'm happy to leave it at that. Because uh, I'm mindful of the time. I hope we've done this record and your work justice today. Uh, I, I know we were a little, I was a little all over the place. Um, is there anything in sort of conclusion that you'd want to say in conveying uh, to the world uh, any thoughts about, your thoughts about all of us flames? <laughs> wow. Wow. To the world. The whole um, world is listening. I, I, I've, I've checked the stats. And the whole world's listening. If you give me that invitation, then all I can think of is to bless everybody. I just, I want to give a blessing to everybody for health and happiness and a long life and a good life and a good year this year and every year to come. Because we're in a hard time and in a hard world. And, you know, it's always a hard world and it's always a hard time. Yeah. But I don't know. I just believe in giving people blessings. Yeah. Fair enough, Ezra. They're appreciated, if I might say. Um, as we're speaking, you're due to resume touring in the next little bit. So I want to give us an opportunity to, for you anyway, to direct people to where they can get more information about uh, that. But before we go, you've concluded a trilogy here by all accounts. Are you working on new material? Do you have plans afoot uh, for your next record or anything like that? Um. Nothing I can speak too specifically about. I've got lots of ideas. I'm always working on stuff. Mm -hmm. I never stop writing. I also have been writing a lot of prose recently, and I I don't know. That's in a similar uncertain stage. Uh, yeah. Will I publish prose? More prose? Perhaps. The it feels irrelevant. I'll, I'm a, I'm just a writer, and I'm writing. Okay, and that's that's what I'm doing. Nice. And sort of, we'll find out once these piles have been piled up a little higher what we turn the piles into yeah well i i tell you folks if you listen to or read the the lyrics to something like come close which ends the record hell of a prose writer here ezra Furman, if i might say really great i just i, I end up man i also didn't get a chance to say it the vocal performances here particularly on point me toward the real unbelievable <laughs> if i may again i don't mean to embarrass you i just want you to know it's hit me it's resonated with me I love it all. You've done a, another remarkable thing. Is it okay for me to say this to you, Ezra? That's okay. It's so sweet. Thank <laughs> you. I, I worked really hard on it, and I'm glad you noticed. Well, I can tell, goddammit. It's great. It's really great. So I, I just want to say that. If people want to learn more about you or follow you on things, uh, where would mm -hmm. you like to direct them, Ezra? Wow, yeah. I mean, if you want to come see a show, a live show, if you if we come near you, anywhere near you, if you Take a look at EzraFerman.com slash tour, I suppose. EzraFerman.com, you'll find it. You'll nose around. Yeah, I'll link to stuff. I'll link to stuff in the pod description. I just wondered. Sometimes people say, uh, in this case, they'll say, I deleted my TikTok. I was sick of it, you know? I'll get an update that way. Yeah, no, I I, I use Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and uh, not, you know, a little bit sparingly sometimes, but... Yeah, I'm on there. Okay, we'll keep an eye out uh, for those things. Ezra, if we can go out on a song from this wonderful new record, I wonder if you can pick one for us to play and also <laughs> um, let us know why you chose it. It's hard to choose. <laughs> I can't choose. Sorry. I choose uh, Book of Our Names. It's it's both got, in, in some in some ways, it's it forms like something of the spiritual heart of the perspective of the album, songwriting wise, and and 
I'm also just sort of amazed at, at the way my band turned this into a song that it doesn't quite sound like a song, a track I've heard before. I, I don't know what kind of music this sounds like. I, and I feel like that was down to my, my band being kind of brilliant interpreters of, of what I turned in as a solo guitar song. So I'm impressed with, with everybody's work on, on this one. It also seems key just based on the lyrics uh, to the record, I mean. I want there to be a book of our names, none of them missing, none quite the same, none of us ashes, all of us flames, and I want us to read it aloud. So it is a real central and integral song, obviously. It it names the record. Yes, yes. Communal, like, solidarity and and elegy and, uh, yeah, persistence. Yeah. Well, listen, Ezra, I always appreciate speaking with you. Thank you for supplying me with more insights and fodder for the English essay I'm working on about uh, all of us <laughs> flames. It that. means a lot. I wish you the best of luck in the future. I hope to see you soon. And thanks again for your time. Thanks for this podcast. I, I listen all the time. there to be a book of our names none of them missing none quite the same none of us ashes all of us flames and I want us to read it aloud to tell of our exile here in a cruel machinery our bodies between the gears and our world back home just the ghost of a prayer and I want us to read it aloud I want to read it aloud And our names will be heard Through prison walls Through wet city streets And international calls And we'll read it until This whole empire falls
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ah, there you go. Brand new music there by Ezra Furman. I hope you enjoyed that talk. Thanks again to Ezra Furman for appearing on this, the 730th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me, Vish, personally, uh, or sign up for my monthly newsletter, which, oh, Lord, I should prepare that for November. Uh, if you want to learn about any of that stuff, please visit vishkana.com. And like Creative Control on uh, the Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter. Oh, my God, Twitter's falling apart since uh, <laughs> it's just... Uh, ugh. I kind of like Twitter. Anyway, this is a drag. You can follow the show if you're still on Twitter. You can follow the show at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly, Vishkana, while you still can. I don't know if any of us are going to use the Twitter. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, uh, which is like uh, extra time with the current guests or I dig into my archives and I find things I've done that I thought you might like. You get all access to, oh, you get episodes early? Did I already say that? No, I didn't. You get episodes earlier than everybody else. That's all for $6 or more a month of you just supporting me uh, financially and the work I do here, because otherwise there's not much uh, to support the show. You can donate any amount you want uh, per month, and you can also alter that amount as you go. It can go up, it can go down. $6 a month for some anything from four to eight episodes a month. That's not so bad. That's And they're like an hour I'm pleading with you for some reason. I'm just saying, it's not a bad deal if you want to support people like me, an independent podcast guy like me. Anyway, there you go. Patreon.com slash creative control if you want to support the show financially. And uh, if you want a creative control t-shirt, message me on Patreon, and I'll get you one. I have envelopes now. I can send them. Just let me know. Thanks again to the excellent uh, Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which has locations in Calgary and Edmonton, Alberta. Don't know why I started talking like that all of a sudden. Blackbird Music has locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta. You can learn more about them and order stuff from their website, blackbird.ca. I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. As always, thanks to my dear friend Jim Guthrie. He lends me music that I can use on the show. You can learn more about Jim, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Ezra Furman. Nice to have Ezra back on the show. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Oh, I hope you check out Ezra's music. Please subscribe to this podcast or follow it and tell all your friends about it. Spread the word. Tell them how much you like it. If you do, if you don't, keep it to yourself. Also, That's it, actually. I'll talk to you soon. I just want to say thank you. Goodbye for now.